I think I experience uh, imposter syndrome every day of my life. I kind of think you don't stop, right? Um, and I also think it's quite positive in a way because you're um, never complacent. You're always looking for growth. And so it's um, to, to kind of switch the way to think about it. Um, you're always constantly um, looking to justify yourself and, and your value. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of unavoidable. And especially, I think that I'm quite lucky. I've had sort of mentors and support in my career. And they've given me a degree of confidence in myself and my judgment. Um, and then now I feel like I'm finally at a stage where that confidence is translating into the role. Um, and you really need it when you're sort of advising people at that senior level, um, you know, uh, CEOs, COOs and, and the board. Um, because ultimately I'm in charge of one of the major components of the risk function for the tournament. G'day guys, coming up on the show today is Emily Jackson, Head of Legal at the FIFA Women's World Cup. Emily started off as a lawyer working in private practice at Westpac before she made the jump into sports, studying at Cricket Australia, then the ICC 2019 Cricket World Cup, Expo 2020 in Dubai, and is now in probably the coolest legal job in Australia since the 2000 Olympics. She's an incredible person and a great friend of the show with lots to look out for, including a journey to work in sport, her experience stepping into a leadership position, and what it's like to work overseas, plus the ins and outs of the FIFA Women's World Cup. We're excited. Let's go. I started volunteering. It's all about who you know in sport. Am I going to be calling the last 10 seconds of the grand final? You can connect with the interviewer. The hand goes up when they've got to make a decision. Having a network is one of the most important things you can do. I didn't necessarily follow my passion. I followed my curiosity. Once you've worked in sport, there's no going back. And then lo and behold, before I left, I got offered two. Hello and welcome to the Sports Grid Podcast, the ultimate guide to make it in the sports industry. I'm back. I'm Ryan Walker. Joining me is the conscientious Ruben Williams. We are two mates who met at Cricket Australia and each week we learn how people made it in sports and then we tease out their career decisions, their work habits, skills and everything they do that makes them great. Also, you can learn how to get in, get promoted and get thriving in the sports industry. How are you, Rubes? G'day. It's good to have you back. Finally, I was a bit lonely last week whilst you were out with COVID, so it's nice to have you in this room again. It is good to be back. And I must say, if, if I had have appeared on the show last week, the voice, it, it just would not have worked. <laughs> I, I would have been clearing the throat, would have been sniffling the whole time, coughing. It just, it wouldn't have been good quality. So no. we thought we'd give it to you and it was Pure. Well, I'm not sure how I dodged it because we literally spent a full four days together and you walked away <laughs> with COVID and I'm only mildly sick. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit weird, isn't it? Maybe it just shows how good your immune system is. Yeah, maybe. But um, yeah, it's got me worried because last week was very good. It made me think, am I really required in this? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely you are. But um, no, good job on your own and it is daunting. So um. No, it's good to be back. And and I like to be at health. I liked your word, by the way, conscientious, because it, it reminded me of um, like uh, primary school reports or yeah. even high school <laughs> reports, because I feel like it's such a like go-to word for for teachers yeah. when they can't think of how to describe their student. Like, hundred oh. percent. And the only reason I say this is because I feel like I got conscientious on about ten of my reports yeah, because yeah. the teachers were too lazy to actually articulate what I was up to at school. Yeah. But if we say conscientious, then, you know, mum and dad think, oh, Ruben cares about his work. So yeah. that'll that'll get me through. It's kind of one of those words that just 
it's kind of a cop out in a way, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you you cannot be that great at something, but you can still be called conscientious. Yeah, <laughs> at least he cares. He's conscientious though. He's like, <laughs> so good. Yeah. but my thinking with that word is um, kind of going back to the well a bit, a bit mm. nostalgic. Like we used to, I guess, go real deep with the adjectives, like mm. super adjectively words. Mm. That's not even a word, but. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I thought you mean like I'd proper go, adjectives, yeah, yeah, rather than titles, sentences, <laughs> rather than titles, <laughs> yeah. like the Prince of Lawn. Yeah. I think you came up at one point. Ah, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's good. So I went back to the um, went back to the well. Nice. I'm sure I've done that before. By the way, yeah, well, two hundred thirty odd episodes. Yeah. in, so I've just got a, feeling. a good chance. Anyway, it's good to be back and this is a great episode, so uh, I'm very excited. If you haven't already, please follow us on LinkedIn and if you want to connect with us and over 500 others working in sport, become a member of the SportsGrade community. Ruse, what's been happening lately? Oh, plenty. Well, we bumped into uh, our man, Daniel Raffin, who is a Sydney bloke, mm. came down to Melbourne for the Grand Prix and let us know that he has got an internship at the South Sydney Rabdos as a customer experience intern. So he is going to be hanging out with uh, Russell Crowe on a daily basis, I yeah. believe. Luttrell. Yep. <laughs> we, we know him. <laughs> yep. Random bunnies dude who goes around the world <laughs> yeah. to events. So, well done to you, Daniel. Uh, and Sheka Shrida, another favourite of the show, has just picked up a new volunteering role at the Melbourne Football Club mm. through the connections he's made over there. So, well done to you, Sheka. Uh, a couple of new jobs posted recently on the jobs board. There is a media rights coordinator role at Cricket Australia that's just gone up, which would be outstanding. Mm. And we know the manager for that, who is uh, a lot of fun. Abby. Great, Abby. great friend. He'd be listening, so absolutely. Go on, Abby. He's a lawyer. Emily's a lawyer. Yeah. So well timed that role. Yeah. Kind absolutely. of in the realm of who we're talking to today. So. Yeah. Um, he's also a great example of how you can go from one field to another. Mm. Anyway, we might circle back to Abby. Yeah. Anyway, uh, another job: corporate partnerships role at the Western Sydney Wanderers Football Club. So if you're into your soccer up in New South Wales, there's a job for you there. And then events coming up in the community. Uh, we haven't done one of these for a while, but we're very excited to be hosting another job fair where we call on some of our favorite organizations to talk about the jobs that they have in market at the moment. You can ask them any questions that you want. You can connect with mm. the hiring managers and you can get elite access to, to jobs before anybody else. So that is coming up next week. But if you'd enjoy an email from us every Friday, recapping on everything that's going on so you don't miss out on any events, any content or podcasts or, or any jobs going out, Subscribe to the SportsGrad newsletter. There's a link in our show notes to join, or you can head to the website, sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter. Brilliant. Well, let's get cracking. Awesome episode coming up. So grab a pen, enjoy this chat with Emily Jackson. With a new course, Deakin Business School is preparing graduates to capitalize on the golden opportunities in sports management. It's time to take charge of your career with the Executive Masters of Sports Management, a one-of-a-kind qualification which is designed as a more advanced version of Deakin's popular Master of Business in Sports Management, which is the number one ranked program of its kind in Australia. Delivered online via Deakin's Cloud Campus, the EMSB provides students with a focus on specific business knowledge, including areas of strategy, sports governance, leadership and fan engagement. Capitalise on the golden decade with a degree that will give you the skills you need. EJ, welcome to the SportsGrab podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's great to be here. 
EJ, our, uh, as you know, our podcast is all about career advice. And when we were working together at Cricket Australia, you left me with some fabulous career advice. <laughs> oh, God, what is that? And that, <laughs> and that was, you said to me, Ruby, don't be too quick to make friends at work in your 20s because there's a great chance that they're going to pack up and leave on you and the emotional toll <laughs> is not worth it. And you have done that several times. <laughs> But here we are, and it's a pleasure that we are still friends and you're still willing to chat with us. <laughs> Absolutely. You're one of the rare friends that survived the uh, the post-work transition. <laughs> yes. There's a, there's a real like shift in uh, the relationship when it when it clocks over 12 a.m. on a Friday and you're now weekend friends. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I believe I first coined the term work friends to weekend friends. So. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it has been a long time coming. I think we were saying before, this episode had to be in person. It was a very special episode. We've been mm. waiting to get you on for a, a very, very long time. So mm. it is great to have you. Oh, I've just been waiting for an opportunity to, uh, you know, find an environment where it was, in, was more suitable just to interrogate you, to throw questions at you that, you know, wouldn't be normal in an outside setting. So, I mean, I'm a lawyer, so I respond well to interrogation. Yeah, so. excellent. <laughs> you know exactly what to say without saying anything. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, how we start these episodes is we do a few quick fire questions to get to know you better, um, which is a new segment this year, but we're, we're loving it so far because our audience can actually learn everything about EJ from the get go. So I'll kick us off uh, by asking, what is your first ever job? My first ever job was in Wickles. Um, which was a fantastic job because I could turn up very hungover. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was very responsible. Um, it was a summer job and it was great. <laughs> nice. And uh, what did you study at university? I studied a Bachelor of Arts in Law Conjoint with a major in English. Favourite sporting moment? Uh, um, probably the, uh, the storming the SCG with Ruby. <laughs> yes. Yes, that was a fabulous Celebrate night. Buddies moment. One of the great moments. Uh, I've got real regret not coming on that flight with you, Ruth. <laughs> EJ didn't even know what she was getting into yeah. that night. Um, yeah, I ended up on somebody's shoulders. I fully, you know, was falling down uh, off the seats. It was amazing. Jeez. <laughs> I don't, you know, for those who don't know, Emily's from New Zealand, if you haven't picked that up yet. I'm not sure if you have an AFL team yet, but uh, when I got to Sydney, I was like, AJ, we've got an extra ticket to this game. Buddy's going to kick goal 1,000. You're like, yeah, okay, that sounds good. <laughs> yeah, might as well. I never committed to an AFL team in all my time in Melbourne because it's a very, you know, it's a very touchy subject and people get very passionate defending their team. So it's a great opportunity mm. to kind of get to know somebody and, and see the uh, sort of qualities they identify with in a team. So nice. that, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> well, we share favourite sporting moment, which is great. <laughs> Um, do you have a favourite question that you like asking candidates? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think I probably one thing that I find really useful, especially in this most recent role, is to ask them what their management style, preferred management style is. Um, because I think that's something that, you know, in some ways the manager has to adapt to the people they're managing. Um, and so it's really helpful to understand if there's, you know, a, a synchronicity there and, and if, nice. you know, they sort of like a great deal of support um, or if they like a more hands-off approach. So that's my serious question that I like answer, <laughs> asking. And my fun question is, what are you currently watching? Because it's just a question that lightens the mood a little bit and kind of again, gets that little bit of insight and people are kind of very serious getting interviewed and really trying to impress and so it's, it's nice to kind that. of cut, cut the tension of it. Yeah. What's the best answer you've received to that <laughs> TV question? 
Um, I think somebody went full in on like the real housewives. I have really respected <laughs> that because I was like, you're not even trying to be intellectual. You're just being straight up with who you are. Yeah. And to be honest, you know, we were really looking for someone who was quite fun and have a chat with. So it was a good match ultimately. <laughs> There'd be people like making up like what they think is normal things to watch. And then the other people saying, oh, I'm re-watching Harry Potter, <laughs> Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, you know. Uh, yep. Other ones are like, I only watch uh, David Attenborough documentaries <laughs> yeah. or something serious. Absolutely. Or you can tell when they're like, um, you know, you're trying to uh, angle it so it's for the job, you know, like I only watch, you know, these Suits. football documentaries. <laughs> yes, you know, and um, you're like, okay, but. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now tell me about the trashy shows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's what I want to know. I want to know about your personality. Yeah. What do you watch when you're hungover? Like, that's I know. think that's, that's a real crucial question. Isn't yeah. it? What is your go-to hangover show? Totally. <laughs> Um, next one is, are you associated or have you previously been associated with any grassroots sporting clubs? Um, not a lot growing up, to be honest. I was sort of on the, um, I, I was a, a big keen dancer growing up and so that dominates your entire life. And in fact, never really played group sports to my detriment, I think. Um, and I guess I was on the, um, uh, Football Victoria disciplinary panel, um, and that was quite an interesting. When I was uh, at Cricket Australia, and that was a really interesting insight into the kind of grassroots nature of football and sort of the conflicts that emerge and, and a lot of the d- dynamics of the sport at that level. So that was super interesting to be part of. I have met a lot of lawyers, and uh, I remember when you first told me that you were volunteering on this tribunal. And they were asking me, how do I get into sports law? Every single time I told them, well, I've got this friend, Emily. She's now the head of legal at the FIFA Women's World Cup. The way she got her start was by volunteering on a tribunal. So I think it's excellent um, grounding place. That's what I tell a lot of um, people. So you always get hit up on sort of um, LinkedIn and and things. And that's kind of what I tell people as well. Like there's a lot of ways like in your career, which we will talk about later, obviously, that you can prepare yourself for this type of role. But I think um, just getting involved in that volunteering side of things is really crucial to get that exposure and knowledge. Mm. And last quick fire question. If you had 30 minutes to pick the brain of anybody, who would it be? Ooh, great question. I mean, my go-to answer for this is always Beyonce because I love her. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I don't know. Probably this is probably a bit of a cliche uh, answer, but Jacinda Ardern, I think she's, you know, Mm. been, uh, was an amazing leader for New Zealand um, and very sad to see her step away. She faced a lot of criticism within New Zealand and I think she handled it beautifully and it would just be really cool to get to know her. Best friends. Did, did, you got to know her, didn't you? Oh, I saw her in an event, um, and she was kind enough to take a selfie with like the angle, so it looked like we were, you know, mates. And I fully, you know, dined out on that one. <laughs> uh, the way you told me earlier before the show was that you were invited to the game with her and you're spending the entire match with her. I am being misconstrued here. <laughs> I'm being misrepresented. <laughs> wow. Well, not everyone gets to meet their hero, so I'm, I'm very happy for you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, let's dive into it. Um, there's lots happening at FIFA at the moment. There's a World Cup coming. Uh, how is it? What, what's going on? Yeah, it's it's really exciting. Yeah. It's really intense. Um, so we're obviously in the you know last build-up to the event, um, and it sort of feels, feels like it's been a long time coming. So I came on board in August 2021. 
And um, sort of last year, we were sort of doing all the preparatory stuff and getting everything in place. And now it's really kicking off. We've got 100 Days to Go coming soon. And, you know, we've got um, a lot of really cool promotional events. Um, and then obviously the tournament itself. So <laughs> it's busy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't believe, like, you know, it, it's come so quick. Like, I, I feel like it always seemed like it was so far away and it's all of a sudden it's here. And it's uh, it is crazy. Absolutely, well, it, was, crazy. it was a really quick quick runway because um, it only got awarded sort of in twenty twenty, um, and so then obviously with COVID everything got a little bit delayed. So really, the main team didn't come on board till mid twenty twenty one. So that's two years to pull mm. together a massive co hosted <laughs> tournament across two countries. First time FIFA's ever done that, um, and you know, make sure we have all the staff in place, all the tournament time, tournament time planning. What's really interesting about the structure of this tournament, interesting for me, I don't know if this is interesting <laughs> for you guys, um, is that it's kind of a different corporate structure. So we're a direct uh, subsidiary of FIFA. So normally you have a local organising committee that will be affiliated to, in Australia, the National Sporting Organisation. So for example, for the T20 Cricket World Cup, it was a subsidiary of Cricket Australia. Um, but this is a direct FIFA subsidiary. So they've never kind of had that on the ground LOC experience with a tournament of this size um, from this far out. So it's kind of, for them, I think it's been a really great sort of learning experience. For us, it's been a great learning experience. There's been some gaps. There's been some opportunities. <laughs> um, but it's been it's been fantastic and a really collaborative sort of um, process. How, how do you go working across three time zones? You got New Zealand, Australia, and then Switzerland. Um, well, I don't sleep very much. <laughs> no, that's not fair. Um, no, it's, it's, you know, it has been tricky, I will say, especially moving into daylight savings time over summer. So um, it means kind of it's been quite a lot of late calls um, till like 9, 10 at night. Um, and then now I'm in Australia, so obviously that's early calls. Um, but for the most part, you know, I think it's just been about trying to respect people's time where possible and making sure that meetings actually have a purpose. Mm. Um yeah, and, and it's been great because uh, especially with the start, everyone was in COVID, so every, it was COVID lockdown, so everyone was like on Teams calls anyway, so it didn't really feel like you were too separate from yeah. people. And is there anything in particular about the tournament you're most excited for? I think that I'm really, really excited to see, I think, the groundswell of support, especially coming into the, the final games. Um, I think it's going to be um, off the charts. It's going to be a scale that's never before being seen particularly for women's sport and I, I hope and I expect that it will kind of redefine the commercial landscape for women's sport because that's sort mm. of the purpose of this tournament. Um, FIFA's put a lot of money into it, more, more investment than they've ever done into a women's tournament before um, with the goal of sort of having it be a commercial proving ground for women's sport globally. So um, it can be an example that you point to to say well look when you invest in it um, you know you get results. Yeah, Amazing. Can we dive into that for a sec? Absolutely. Awesome. Um, well, tell us about like what, what's the commercial landscape been like for women's sport in the past and, and how is this one different? Yeah, so it's kind of evolved quite rapidly from my perspective. Um, so I think that when I was at Cricket Australia, you know, um, the, the leadership team there were very focused on building the women's game to their credit um, at a time when, you know, not a lot of other sports mm. were seriously considering it. Even, you know, within cricket, Australia was sort of probably the first sport to do so. Um, and so that really go, credit goes to senior leadership there. Um, and, you know, that you can see that in the landmark sort of equal pay deal and sort of treating the women's team as its own 
entity, allowing it to go professional, um, and sort of addressing that historic underinvestment in women's sport, which kind of continues to hold it back. Um, and so I think the shift, even in the time that I was at Cricket Australia, so at the start, the women's team were sort of enveloped within some of the men's deals as sort of, you know, not an afterthought, but it was, you know, oh, and you also get this. And I think that over that time, uh, there was a real focus within the commercial team to develop the investment in the women's side. Um, so, for example, their own sponsorship deals, um, making sure that they were pitched as an entirely separate property. Um, and you know, making sure that there were women's games broadcast um, in the latest broadcast deal. That was another big, important move forward. Um, And then at FIFA, the restructure of their recent commercial program has sort of had a dedicated vertical for the women's game. And so that means that um, there's just a lot more of a landscape to attract sponsors. Um, It's a really unique approach. It's probably a first in the world. Um, And I think that it's it's really exciting. It really, really shows that they're kind of going all in. Mm, amazing. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool to be a part of. Oh, it's really exciting. I feel very lucky. Mm. Well, let's start, let's go back, way back to the beginning of your career and find out how you got to this point. What what was the, the sequence of uh, work experiences, qualifications, other different things you've done in your career to lead you to this point? Um, so I started out fairly classically, as I said before, doing the BALB uh, degree at uni- the University of Auckland, um, and I actually didn't think I'd be a lawyer. I, um, I yeah, just kind of got funneled into it through um, applying for the summer clerk program, getting selected, and then thinking, well, I, you know, great, awesome. I don't have to make a decision here. Um, so, and I, w- I was incredibly lucky. Um, I started out at um, Buttle Finlay, which is a corporate commercial firm in Auckland. Um, and had a really great introduction to the practice there. Um, but then I sort of got the opportunity to work for a boutique entertainment law firm. And at that time, that was kind of a bit of a risk, moving away from such a great brand, such a great company, to a sort of smaller boutique firm. Um, but I got to do some amazing work. I got to, you know, work for artists, record labels, um, you know, did Beyonce come up in that? <laughs> I mean, only in my only in my heart. <laughs> but no, I, I I got to kind of do a really good variety of work, and I feel like I got to a- attack the work at a more senior level than I potentially would have if I'd stayed at you know um, the original corporate law firm. Um, and so that was a really great learning experience. Um, and then after a few years, I sort of, you know, we have our traditional overseas experience. So I decided for mine, um, I got selected for the International Student Visa Program at Broadway Dance Centre. So I took six months to go to New York um, and just danced and had a great time, fell absolutely in love with New York. And then um, decided when I came back that that was the goal, that I wanted to work in America one day. Um, and so I... Uh, studied for the New York bar exam, passed, um, and got admitted over there. Um, And in the meantime, I sort of took an approach to my career where I was looking to build experience in the eventual area that I wanted to sort of end up in, which is uh, ideally entertainment and sports law. So uh, definitely nailing that one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I I worked... uh, at an IP law firm while I was studying for the bar exam. Then I worked uh, in Westpac um, in their digital marketing and sponsorship team. Um, and that was great because it kind of gave me the experience of negotiating sponsorships on the side of the sponsor. Um, and that um, 
it's positioned me really well for um, the role at Cricket Australia, which obviously was sort of a corollary experience. Um, and so I applied for the role. I was looking to kind of move to um, Australia to broaden my experience a bit. Um, and then the role at Cricket Australia came up. I applied for it. I got it despite not knowing anything about cricket. <laughs> I, uh, I had to Google what an ODI was on my first day, <laughs> um, which may infuriate some of you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, luckily, my then boyfriend, now husband, took took me aside and explained the game very well. Um, so I worked at Cricket Australia for three years. Absolutely loved it. I got to meet some really cool people. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? <laughs> Any names? <laughs> well, initials, RW. Yeah. <laughs> yep. You know um, it. <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, so, but and then um, my husband won the green card lottery, so we decided that we'd kind of make the move more internationally. And I also got headhunted for a role at Expo 2020 in Dubai. So we decided that on the way to America, we'd stop in in Dubai for a year, <laughs> which turned into eighteen months because of the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we, following the pandemic, we were both just feeling pretty homesick. Um, and uh, my husband particularly wanted to kind of move home to be close to family. So um, the, this role came up and it was perfect, you know. Um, it was an amazing step up in terms of my career, um, fantastic company to work for, fantastic event, and so I jumped at the chance. Amazing. How's that for a journey? I love the um, sabbatical to go dancing in New yeah. York. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've done enough law lawyering for now. <laughs> Let's just go dancing. We'll come back to lawyering. Let's go later. dancing now. You know what? It was the best thing I did because I was really at that crossroads in my career where I was like, do I even want to be a lawyer? You know, because it, you know, work working in law is intense, and so um, after about four to five years, it can be can get pretty burnt out. Um, and then what that determined for me was that I did not want to be a dancer, <laughs> but I did want to be a lawyer. <laughs> so it was kind of great because it really, I think, redirected my purpose and drive. Mm. Sometimes you need that. At one point, I thought I wanted to be a chef. And then I did work experience <laughs> in a kitchen and I decided I do not want to be a chef. <laughs> so I can understand why it can be yeah, useful. I'm not entirely sure I would trust you in the kitchen. No, <laughs> no, I don't enjoy I've, cooking. I've, I've seen it and it ain't pretty. <laughs> um, let's, um, let's dive into that Expo 2020 period in Dubai. And you mentioned that was obviously during COVID, which would have been you know pretty challenging at times. Can you share a little bit about that experience and, and what it was like working in Dubai and, and, you know, I guess just having to be there, I guess, you, you're almost trapped because, you know, you couldn't come home, you couldn't go to America or that kind of thing? Yeah, it was um, obviously such a strange period for everyone and I think um, really unprecedented. Um, and so already I was in this space where I'd moved to an entirely new country. I'd moved um, without my husband, so I was kind of alone there. Um and you know Dubai is very different to Australia and New Zealand in a great way and um, it was it was that was part of the adventure to move to kind of like a non-western country and just experience a different type of culture um, so it was already a pretty discombobulating experience and then um, to have every everything sort of shut down and the world stop and you know borders locked down it was all pretty pretty stressful to be honest um, and on top of that the the event obviously got postponed so that was sort of also a really sort of unprecedented thing. And you saw that with the Tokyo Olympics as well, that people had never really explored how to do that, what the mechanisms were to do that and what the legal implications were for that. So um, a big part of my role in those first few months was sort of understanding, um, you know, what the implications were and, and 
really it just came down to commercial negotiations with partners to reflect the change landscape. And you just had to be very pragmatic, very practical, and, um, you know, come, come to a middle ground. Um, and, yeah, so it, it was... I think, I guess being a lawyer was pretty useful at that time. Um, everyone got very familiar with the term force majeure. <laughs> <laughs> and What does that mean for everyone listening? Basically, it's an event beyond either party's control. Yeah, <laughs> you used to say that a lot, right. force majeure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds so professional. Yeah, it does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, awesome. Um, and then how did you find your way back to Australia or New Zealand? <laughs> Yeah, so um, basically I think at about um, May or June, so my contract was sort of up in September, so working in the event space you're sort of always kind of looking out for what's next. Um, And so I saw this role come up, I actually had a colleague recommend it to me. Um, And, you know, I think the challenge about moving back to New Zealand specifically is that it's a relatively small sporting market, so there's not a lot of capacity for senior lawyers in an in-house counsel capacity. Um, and so I was sort of exploring a few different options, but none of them felt quite right. Um, <laughs> Rumours, laptops calling. <laughs> <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> so, yeah, so none of them felt quite right. Um, and then this role came up and it was perfect because it was across both. So I'd still get, you know, that level of work um, and that exposure internationally, plus a great brand on my CV but also get to spend a significant amount of time at home with my family. So, yeah, I applied for the job, um, interviewed a few times, interviewed with FIFA, and then, yeah, got the, got the job. Amazing. And so how have your feelings changed between working in sport compared to how they felt when you're working in private practice? Yeah, so um, private practice is, is really great. It's a really great sort of um, starting point for a lot of lawyers. You get great technical training and, um, you know, get to really develop that skill set. Um, I found I personally prefer working in-house. Um, I kind of like being embedded within a business. I like seeing a kind of a project through to its completion um, and, and working with the business to develop and deliver something. And I think the distinction with private practice is that you're sometimes working with multiple clients, you're working on a piecemeal basis, so you maybe aren't getting that full picture, and that's obviously not every private practice lawyer, but that was just my experience. Um, and so, I, yeah, I, I really prefer um, sort of the the practical sort of uh, overview of the whole, how the whole business works because I think you get to step back a bit and be a bit more strategic. Mm. Amazing. Yeah. And the, uh, the lunchtime boxing sessions are a nice added perk. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> although I have to say I was definitely not up to uh, R- Ruby's power, pure power. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a few people who attended my first session who would tell you that I was ready to faint and fall over the first time I went to boxing. <laughs> but I remember arriving and seeing you there in your Sydney Sixers jacket, sprightly <laughs> as ever. And I was like, oh, I can get along with you. <laughs> it was a very easy way to make friends because I think I was only a, a month into the, the job at, at CA. And, um, yeah, lunchtime boxing was a nice little connector for, for people at work. Oh, it was amazing. And I think cardio is truly the great leveller. I think you really <laughs> don't know someone until you've seen them almost throwing up from exhaustion, which definitely <laughs> happened to me a couple of times. On their knees, <laughs> on the ground, yeah. struggling. Yeah. Didn't see you at lunchtime boxing too many times. Nah. Yeah, where were you, mate? Nah. Uh, I think I did... Maybe three, and the only reason I was there is because K-Mate was bullying me to get there. So, um, yeah, not my greatest 
uh, a bit of form there, but that's okay. I showed face a few times. I just had the craziest deja vu, by the way, with EJ. <laughs> it's so random. I was seeing it while you were going through it. I was like, this has happened before. <laughs> After this, we have to go. I have lunch at the Trumbull, and then mm. that would be a great way to cap this all off. We we welcome any opportunity to go to the Trumbull now. It's mm. like a, it's a novelty. Yeah. yeah. Mm. It's get, amazing. The, get the butter chicken. The yes. jaffle. Are they yes. still doing the jaffle? Or the Friday Parma. Oh, go have a Friday The leftovers Parma. go into the jaffle. Yeah. Every week. <laughs> it's not a jaffle if it's not leftovers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Um, let's talk about the the financial point of view of of being a lawyer. What what are the differences differences between sort of going in house in sport versus private practice? Um, is there you know is it a crazy margin or is it relatively similar? Yeah, it's um it's a really good question. I think pay transparency is is you know quite important generally. So it's good to have the conversation. And I think one of the things you do have to be aware when you're preparing for a career in house and sport is that there is going to be a difference, because um, in private practice you're quite banded. There are tiers that you move up through as a junior lawyer, um, and then obviously when you get to partnership level, it's a kind of a profit share um, model. Mm. Um, and the the core difference is I think in private practice you are a profit centre, so you're making money. In-house, you're a cost centre, so you are, you know, a support service essentially for the business. So you are salaried in-house and there's sort of only discretionary bonuses, nothing's really guaranteed. And as we all know, working in a sports organisation, money is always tight, so those bonuses probably shouldn't be uh, counted or relied upon. Um, so I think that, you know, there is a difference. Um, For me, that trade-off is well worth it. due to the nature of the role. And I think one thing also to be aware of is there is also sort of, I guess, um, maybe, uh, you know, you have to accept a little bit of a lower salary sometimes to work in a passion area. And I think that's definitely the case in sports um, because there are so many people wanting the role. Um, The role in itself is seen as a reward. So um, while I would always encourage everyone to negotiate um, up to, you know, the market value um, and to do their research and understand what other kind of people in the area are being paid, um, I think that just to prepare yourself that that's Mm. the reality of it. Would you also say that the the hours worked would be different to that at a private practice? Like I've got (coughs) friends who are... Who are lawyers and and you know often they're at work till three a.m. and then up at seven. It's like, is that a common thing for you? Kind of. I mean, not personally for me. I think sports is probably it's a pretty um, issues rich environment. So, <laughs> <laughs> so there tends to be sort of um, a, a constant, pretty intense workload. Yeah. And so that's another thing to maybe be prepared for coming into the role. Um, and that can fluctuate depending on the time of the year. Um, when you're coming up to an event, et cetera, it's a bit more intense. Um, generally, with in-house roles, though, there is a bit more of that trade-off in terms of work-life balance. So mm. I don't think anyone would say they work a classic nine-to-five, but there's just a bit more regularity, a bit more time for family yeah. and stuff. If you had to list two things that make it worthwhile, what, what would they be? Working with great people, working for something you're passionate about. Love it. Nice. For all those lawyers out there. (laughs) Um, This is your first head of position, which is amazing. I think you have probably got the coolest sports law job that's ever existed in Australia, probably since the Olympics, maybe. Um, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) um, 
but typically, you know, you've had to report to a head of. So how have you had to adapt in this role? Yeah, I think um, it has been a really big shift for me. And um, this is my first people management role as well. So it's been a big learning curve. Um, So I think kind of the key difference is, yeah, as you noted, in a traditional legal department, you're normally reporting up into a head of or general counsel. um, And they sort of uh, assist with workflow, workload, and all of the day-to-day people management aspects of the role. So shifting into that space um, where you're reporting, I'm reporting to the CEO at the moment, um, it's just a bit of a shift in mindset because I don't really have a manager that you know necessarily understands the day-to-day work I do and, and, and my job is to deliver on deliverables for him. So um, it's, it's just a bit of a shift in dynamic and um, my boss is great. Love you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not really his job to kind of assist in my workflow. That's my job. Um, and so I think shifting into the people management side of things has been really great. It's something that I was so excited about in this role and um, really love my team. I feel so lucky with the people I've been able to recruit. I think the great thing about sports is that you get such great applicants and so you can kind of pick the people that fit best with your personality and your vision for the team and I feel like I really got some amazing amazing um, people Um, but you know I think that people are also the most difficult thing about any role so I think the challenge for me has been trying to um, adapt myself to them and and try and and deliver on what they need Um, and make them feel supported because I think that's the other thing about working in such an intense role. You're constantly getting um, people coming at you left, right and centre and I think you really need someone at some points to step in um, and mediate between you and the business. You need someone to step in and help you prioritise and also sometimes someone to vent to. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, So getting that balance right has been sort of what I've been trying to focus on. I, they probably tell you I don't always get it right, but I am <laughs> always trying. <laughs> so, so are you 100% working with your team or helping your team as opposed to looking through contracts or is that still some part of it? No, so I'm probably, I would say, equally split. Um, so I'm not fully dedicated to people management. Um, I was brought on with the idea that I would be still you know, fulfilling quite a bit of the workload. So that has been another tricky thing to balance, um, particularly because the nature of a team is that when, you know, they go and leave or they're fully at full capacity, you kind of have to then absorb that work. So um, kind of balancing all the different components of the role has been something that I've not always been successful at. And honestly, so my personal time has taken probably a bit of a hit from that perspective. And I think that's just part of the learning curve of moving into this type of a role. Mm. Are there any things that you've leaned on or people that you've leaned on to kind of help with that new learning curve? Yeah, I mean, um, like I said, my boss is really great. So Dave Beach is the CEO and, you know, he's the the type of guy that, um, you know, if you go into his office and you're having a meltdown, he'll be like, okay, how do we help? <laughs> um, so he's, he's really great and also just a great person to talk to. Um, it feels like a very equal dynamic and he really respects my opinion, which is really important when you're kind of a risk function is to make sure that, you know, there's a, a level of respect for your opinion and, and um, when you kind of have an area, a degree of caution over an area. Um, so he's really great. My uh, special shout out to my husband, who's 
always a massive source of support. Cooking the dinners, being the, um, you know, the silent hero and, and um, while I'm on meetings at all hours. So, you know. The data scientist. That's yep. it. Well, soon to be, soon to be. If anyone's looking for a data scientist, hi, my husband. <laughs> He's studying at the moment. Shout out to, to Simon. He, he'd be tuning in. Absolutely. W- wonderful man. Yeah. And Big regular listener of the show. Friend of the show as well. Friend so. of the show. I love yeah. it. Brilliant. Um, tell us about the differences between working at a, a tournament. There's obviously a, a lifespan to that and then a, an organisation like CA who is ongoing. Like what, what are the differences between working at the two? Yeah, so I think that the, um, the difference is working within a national sporting organisation is that the rhythm is very cyclical, right? So you're in um, you mm. event delivery tournament time, or sorry, not tournament time, event delivery mode um, for cricket. It was over, obviously over the summer period. Then after that, you kind of have a little bit of a regrouping stage. A lot of the strategic repositioning happens during the middle of the year. And then you're on the build up to event delivery again. So it kind of becomes this, um, more predictable rhythm where you can sort of understand where the lulls are and you can kind of get more strategic, um, you know, deeper work done during that time and you can resource up and down in an ideal world um, appropriately uh, according to that. And I think um, the the difference with that is probably a, a degree of sustainability. So you have to make sure that you've uh, got a sustainable workload, you've got a well-resourced team and um, the right experience levels. Um, and so uh, for tournament time, I think it's less predictable. Um, there is a build-up, um, but it's also a limited sort of duration. So it, there's a lot more certainty about certain things. Um, and I, th- I think that it's really crucial to understand how that limited term kind of comes into all of the contracts you're drafting. Um, and, yeah, just just the the fact that, your resourcing is going to be pretty intense for a, a period, but then, you know, you're going to obviously be finishing up the event after that. So. Mm. And you, you did a succumbent to the 2019 Cricket World Cup. So you've kind of felt what it's like to, to deliver an event versus a, a cricket season. Is there a, a difference in when that event delivery time comes? Yeah. I mean, I think shifting to the event space was really suited me because I um, – I'm always kind of seeking growth in my career and I have moved around quite a bit. Like I I think, and that's quite unusual for a lawyer. Normally the lawyer, you kind of stay in a role for a a long period of time. I've always sort of, when I felt that I was hitting my peak of growth in a role, kind of moved on to the next. And that's why I think tournaments kind of really suit me because it's a defined project, it's a defined lifespan and um, you can often take that next step up in seniority as well because for an event they may look a little bit more junior, for a, for example, a head of role. So there's just more opportunities in the space. Mm. Um, and I think the difference is, um, so for the 2019 Cricket World Cup, it was a fantastic role because I was essentially just seconded for the rights management program. So I flew in for the tournament essentially got to attend a bunch of cricket matches, um, of course, uh, working in the rights protection program, I must <laughs> hasten to add. Um, but it was just great because you get part of that, uh, to be part of the event delivery excitement. You get to see the, del- the delivery of the event on the ground, um, you know, and experience all of the highs and lows and pressures. Whereas often for a lawyer, you're kind of behind a desk the whole time. So you don't necessarily get to have that embedded nature in the role. So that's really fun. And then the other difference is obviously when I was at Expo 2020, 
um, yeah, it was it was a little bit more of a long-term strategic role. So you could um, kind of get um, a little bit more um, strategic about the way you were structuring certain... Com- so I was, um, I was working within the um, sort of revenue... Uh, uh, dealing with all the revenue generating components of the Expo 2020. Um, and so that enabled me to kind of take quite a strategic approach. And I think that was really appreciated within the Expo because um, I think pe- people could get quite siloed. And so having someone to step back and take a look at things overall was quite, um, I think, appreciated. Um, and yeah, then unfortunately I missed out on the event delivery because I had uh, had to come over for this this role. So, oh. yeah, it was a shame. <laughs> you kinda, but, you did all the work and then, all right, you guys handle it from here. It's all, mm. it's all well, sorted. I knew they had it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was interesting what you're saying about how um, working on a defined project or like a tournament forces you to, to learn quicker and it also kind of forces you to, to move on as well. Mm-hmm. Like it's impossible to get stuck in a job there because the job ends. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That's so, the thing. I don't have a job after mm-hmm. December, you know. And so you kind of and, – and the great thing about working in events also is that you kind of have an inbuilt network of people who will also be going on to the next event. So, for example, Australia has what's called the Green and Gold Decade coming up. So it's, you know, Women's World Cup, um, two Rugby World Cups, um, the Olympics in 2020. 32, uh, the the regional Victoria Commonwealth Games. So there's a real series of events that people can flow on to from there. And um, part of the job of the workforce team at the LFS, the local FIFA subsidiary, um, is to ensure that there is an on, you know, there's contact with these other events. And so we can sort of almost um, sort of organise going from one event to the next, which is great because it means that we retain people um, until the end of the contract. People aren't leaving early to go to another event, but it also means that people have a degree of certainty over what their next role is going to be. So that's kind of um, something that is pretty unique to Australia and pretty exciting. So I think the event space is going to be great um, Mm. for the next decade at least, if not longer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the event space, you got a greater chance of um, Rihanna walking past your window. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm sorry. No, that was actually the best moment of my life. Um, <laughs> when she came to the Cricket World Cup in 2019, I, I've been in the same room as Rihanna. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. So you're like Beyonce, you've seen Rihanna, a lot happening. Yeah, lot exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk about um, imposter syndrome for a sec. We... Um, we both went through this at Cricket Australia, both walking into this organisation that we'd looked at in bright lights for our entire lives and thought, gosh, do we do we deserve to be here? Um, I was wondering if you could talk to your experience with imposter syndrome and how has that crossed your career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I experience uh, imposter syndrome every day of my life. Um, <laughs> I kind of think you don't stop, right? Um, and I also think it's quite positive in a way because you're um, never complacent. You're always looking for growth. And so it's um, to, to kind of switch the way to think about it. Um, you're always constantly um, looking to justify yourself and, and your value. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of unavoidable and especially, you know, as a woman, um, as a young-ish woman, generously calling myself young. Yeah. <laughs> You're still young at heart. <laughs> thank, yeah. thank you. Ruth. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's sometimes you don't get taken seriously and, um, and I'm a pretty bubbly, smiley person as well. So that can feed into that perception. Um, And so I think that I'm quite lucky. I've had sort of mentors and support in my career and they've given me a degree of confidence in myself and my judgment. 
Um, and then now I feel like I'm finally at a stage where that confidence is translating into the role. Um, and you really need it when you're sort of advising people at that senior level, um, you know, uh, CEOs, COOs and, and the board, um, because ultimately I'm in charge of one of the major components of the risk function for the tournament. So they have to have a degree of confidence in who is there. So I guess it, partially it's fake it till you make it, <laughs> <laughs> but also acknowledging that that's something everyone experiences. It's a natural part of your career. And there's like, uh, I think there's a maxim that you kind of grow in your career to failure. So you grow to the degree where you tap out on your sort of potential, right? So I hope to never be in a situation where I'm fully complacent. I don't think I'm learning. I always want to have the opportunity for growth. And so I think imposter syndrome is sort of a natural sort of part of that. You're always going to mm. feel like you've got to prove yourself. Mm. <laughs> How did you feel when you got awarded the, the head off job? Uh, nervous, um, excited, so excited. Um, but I always have sort of like, you know, I've said that I get imposter syndrome, but I also have sort of a degree of confidence in myself that I can pretty much do anything. This point, you, know? <laughs> you are incredibly capable. Thank you. I know well, you very well and you are right. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I promise I'm not paying him uh, to say yeah. that. But no, Sounds I, like it. I, I, I think the, um, the, the side effect of having had so many different roles in my career is that I sort of feel like you could drop me into any company and I could pretty quickly figure out what the dynamics are, who I need to be talking to and what the strategic priorities are um, and build relationships. And so I think that that's, um, that's a skill set that I've developed hard one skill set. Um, <laughs> and so I sort of think that while I have nervousness and uh, about taking up a role, I'm also always pretty confident that I'll figure it out. <laughs> You're doing a pretty good job. Yeah. <laughs> More money in the door. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to think uh, EJ's paying me with this next question, but we've had a, a few <laughs> touch points with the, the Women's World Cup team um, across a number of different teams, but I'm interested to hear, oh, and they all absolutely love you, by the way, just to chop <laughs> that in. But um, what is your approach to, to managing people? Like you mentioned before, it's a new thing. Like what's your couple of things that you keep in mind when you're doing that? I think you have to, I'm going to have to call this sponsored content. <laughs> yeah. Fee for a paying us to make it look <laughs> yeah. amazing, amazing Absolutely. jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, no, I think my approach to managing people, like I said before, is, um, well, first of all, I recruit for personality. I think skill set can be developed. Um, it, most lawyers that we're interviewing for these roles have a base level skill set that is excellent. So the thing that's going to make them stand out for the, from the crowd is um, personality, fit within a team, and their ability to sort of adapt to different circumstances, different stressors and, and workflows. Um, so... Yes, like I said before, I've been incredibly lucky to recruit the most amazing team. Um, and But then I think part of that is is getting to know them on a deeper level and understand what drives them, what they're interested in, what they want to be developed in. Because I think that a flaw I've had in previous roles is that I managers haven't really identified um, growth opportunities for me. And that ultimately resulted in me leaving roles because as I said, you don't want to tap out on growth. Um, especially, you know, as, as a woman, you kind of have, if you're planning on having kids, you have a limited time frame in which to develop that skill set. So you, from my perspective, you have to be sort of growing and developing the entire time that you're working. Um, so part of the, what I'm trying to bring to this role is to understand where their interest areas are, where they, where they want their skill set to develop, 
and kind of help them understand the industry. So particularly in this role, one of the really nice things about working in an event is that you can be really open about the fact that the event is ending. So you can be open about your future Mm. career plans and you don't have to kind of pretend, oh, I want to work here forever. Um, (laughs) And so that has resulted in me also creating development opportunities and networking opportunities for my staff within people I know within the sports industry. Um, And so... I think it's really personally re- very rewarding for me to to sit down with them and see where they want to develop and try and help them grow in that space. And if anything, that's what I'd like to spend more time on <laughs> as we go forward. That's great. Do you have any sort of um, uh, routines or rituals or, or check-ins? What's kind of like your regular touch points with your team? How do you manage that? Yeah, so we schedule um, a weekly one-on-one. So I schedule all my one-on-ones on a Wednesday with my team. And that sort of um, starts as kind of an emotional check-in. How are they feeling? Are they stressed? Are they feeling under pressure? Um, What particular areas are worrying or concerning them? And then um, once we move past that, we sort of go through sort of a workflow, what they've got on at the moment, and then that's my opportunity to try and help them prioritise because they will never not be busy. (laughs) (laughs) So it's about helping them understand. And I'm lucky that I'm working at that more strategic level so I can sort of understand the priorities of the business because when you work for the business, um, when you work at in-house counsel, um, everyone's always jumping up and down for you to do work for them. Everything's always urgent, especially, and it's genuinely urgent because we've genuinely got a hard deadline. So, um, but, you know, you have only so many hours in a day. So um, so the one-on-one is a really good point to kind of check in, help them prioritise and help them push back on the business if they need it because sometimes they're developing relationships and it really is up to the manager to sort of step in and be like, you know, they're experiencing a little bit of pressure this week. Um, they'll get to it next week. Mm. Um, so that's our one-on-ones. So I schedule them all on a Wednesday so I can sort of get a point-in-time snapshot of where everyone's capacity is sitting. Um, and then we have a weekly team meeting on a Friday, and that's where we sort of um, share information as a team and, again, sort of check in and how everyone's feeling. And that's where I also kind of tell them sort of broader information about the team and how things are developing, anything they need to know. Amazing. Nice. Comprehensive. I'm making yeah. myself sound so great on this. Yeah, you are, as I said. Hashtag SponCon. And then that, is that when the uh, the Real Housewives check-in comes on the Friday too? Absolutely. <laughs> well, look, I, I will say there definitely has been um, time for some shit chat. <laughs> yeah. Which is important. I think it's important. You have to, you know, you have to enjoy it. You spend so much time with each other. You have to enjoy each other's presence. Mm. And you have to be a support for each other as well. So, um, yeah, everyone on my team is really great. I'm really lucky. Literally. Well, like when we we're at Cricket Australia, the, the bloke who won Employee of the Year was a guy who organised Friday drinks. Shout out to Lachlan Seller. Well done. So companies value this stuff. <laughs> I think so. I think that's ultimately like what also ensures longevity in an organisation. Like obviously not as relevant for an event, but within cricket, I think one of the things that was the biggest benefit to me was this, you know, internal group of friends we had, which were mm. a great support to each other. Mm. And we were spread across a bunch of different areas, which was also had the benefit of me getting an insight into how other departments worked and what their priorities were. And so I think that ultimately really helped me to serve the business better. Mm. Plus I had fun. <laughs> yeah, been a great time. J- just on that and interest in other areas of the business, if you could step into someone else's job just for one day, whose job would that be? I reckon I would really enjoy um, being in a sort of head of 
partnerships or commercial role. And don't worry, John, I'm not coming for your job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I I think that it would be really cool to kind of, um, because obviously you really work um, together as the legal team and the partnerships or commercial team to sort of bring on board sponsors. And they do the sort of, you know, obviously, Ryan, you were in the commercial team. They do all of the kind of upfront engagement. And then when it comes to contracting time, that's when it can get a little bit tricky, a little bit spicy as you work through some issues um, and and kind of address their concerns while still protecting the business's interests. So you work really closely with them and kind of, I think that one thing I really pride myself on and enjoy about the role is the ability to develop relationships. I think that's also one thing that sets in-house apart from private practice is that you're kind of developing these relationships internally that really help you in your work. Um, And I just think that relationships are such an important component of what that team does, um, I would really like the chance to kind of be less on the negotiating side and more on the delivery side. Also, because I'm inherently a people pleaser. <laughs> Keep them happy side. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, so many cool events. Like, we, we're just stuck behind the laptop. You guys are going out on boat cruises. And yeah. Stuff. <laughs> it just reminds me of that meme of like, um, it's like a classic office meme. And you've got like, the accounts team who are just plugging away inside a cubicle. Then you got the sales team who are out there having fun. It's kind of like what partnerships versus the law team is like, I guess. Ruby, uh, I didn't know you liked memes. This is new information. Uh, yeah, they go all right. <laughs> They're not bad. He started on a Friday. We're sitting there like, you know, it's 3.34. You're like, come on, just let's wrap this. And Rubes just says, let's make a meme. <laughs> so you notice on our social channels, sometimes a meme just comes out on Friday. <laughs> That's just Rubes trying to fill some time on a Friday. Thinking, Let's make something weird. There are here. people that they employ to do that. At oh yeah, it's gonna be a full time job for people in the future. Meme creator, literally. Meme creator. It's brilliant. Ruby well, sent me an, a meme AI creator, which I think was a slight, <laughs> you know, slight sledge <laughs> that I that I needed to up my meme game. Yeah. Um. If you can't create your own memes, get Chat GPT to create your memes. Absolutely. 100%. But quick, quick story on memes. Uh, and employee engagement, satisfaction, the fun parts of working on that. Uh, at Crick Australia, we had uh, that workplace yeah. platform to kind of... Workface. Workface, yeah. <laughs> that hub to keep everyone engaged and, and chat. Um, the And in, inside that, you could have like private groups. And the, the group that had the most number of members in it was um, Kev's Update. Kev was the CEO. So you, you had to be inside Kev's Update. So like there was no one was ever going to have a group bigger than that. The second largest group was the one I created that was called Cricket Memes. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just filled with memes. <laughs> so there is value in the meme. <laughs> Absolutely. He made a name for himself. <laughs> the meme guy. <laughs> um, anyway, we, we have one more question for you. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, we'll try and finish on a slightly serious note. <laughs> if you could go back in time to um, private practice, Emily, mm-hmm. who felt like, is this all there is in law? And you could write yourself a little note with one piece of advice. What would that note say? I think that it would say something along the lines of um, it's okay to take the risk because I think that I've kind of always been so focused on future opportunities, but it's so hard to think about giving up the security of what you currently have. So it causes you sort of endless angst and Particularly, it was really hard to leave Cricket Australia because I loved my boss. I, I love you, Scan. <laughs> <laughs> Scan. 
Scans is going over to Perth, I heard. I yeah, he's doing something typically amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I think that I would just say, you know, take the risk. It's always going to be worth it. You're always going to learn something, and it's always going to take you something somewhere cool and interesting. So don't stress about it and take the risk. <laughs> love it, love that. And um, before we wrap up, any other episodes for those tuning in uh, related to Emsfield? Yeah, well, we had um, Chaim Katrib, another head of at the FIFA Women's World Cup, head of workforce. She joined the podcast in episode 138, I'm going to say, way back when. Mm. Uh, so she's another phenomenal one. Um, and then we've had a few lawyers on who have gone on to do different things. Uh, one lawyer who did something completely unrelated to law afterwards was uh, Binuk Kadidawaku. Yeah. Finished a law, de- law degree, then decided, I just want to work in analytics. So he taught himself data analytics. So if you want to hear the different mm. sides of law and where it can lead, uh, Binok was a couple of episodes later in 142. So, yeah, a few that people might enjoy there. Brilliant. Well, EJ, we better wrap it up. But it is, uh, it's been awesome having you in here. We, as I said at the very top of the episode, I said we've been waiting a fair while to, to get you in. And uh, it's great to have you in the state so that we could – get you down into the studio but uh just hearing your journey and obviously we know it really well having known you for for a few years now but um i'm sure everybody you know tuning in would have got a lot out of your journey in law but also just in sport and events and what um you know you said in there you're very bubbly you're very passionate and that just shines through every time we see you so we really appreciate you coming in and uh all the best for the tournament oh thank you guys so much it's been such a pleasure being on and I love seeing the professional side of you guys. Yeah. <laughs> I think we held it together. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go be weirdos. <laughs> guys, it's time now for the People's Segment, Ask Sports Grad, where every week we answer a question from our community. If you'd like to ask a question first, just become a Sports Grad member at sportsgrad.com.au slash community and join from there. Then you can add your question to the channel named Ask Sportsgrad on our Discord server. So get excited. It's a great opportunity to do that. Now, Rubes, this one comes from member Zoe. Uh, She says, how do I know who to reach out to on LinkedIn and how should I approach it? Mm, Great Great question. question. Great question. So sounds like Zoe's just starting out networking in the sports industry, which is fantastic because networking is huge. Uh, a lot of people have had in this show got their jobs through networking. So who you know is incredibly important. Mm. Um, but to become, you know, to, to know lots of people, you have to get good at talking to people. You have to get comfortable talking to people first. Um, and one way to do that is to just start talking to the people you enjoy talking to so that you eventually just mm. enjoy talking to people more broadly than that. Once you've got that level of comfort, go forth and, and target whoever you want. So... To start with that piece um, on who do you know, who do I know, who to reach out to, I would simply um, start scrolling through LinkedIn until you come across a post that takes your interest. So, for example, say we mentioned Daniel Raffin at the top Mm -hmm. of the show, got a new job at the the Rabbitohs. Say Daniel Raffin pops up on your newsfeed and you see that he's got a job at the Rabbitohs and you think, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how he got that job. You might just send... Daniel a message that says, hey, Dan, congrats on your job with the Rabbitohs. Um, must be uh, an exciting time for you. Well done. Now, if you just show appreciation for his content and his his news, 
and uh, doing this to anyone in general, nine times out of ten, they're going to respond saying, thanks very much. Yeah. And now you've opened the door to a conversation. From there, you can take it any way you want. You might say, hey, Dan, um, after he said thank you, uh, you might say, hey, Dan, uh, would love to learn more about the process at the Rabbitohs because I'd love to work there one day myself. Any chance you, you have time for a 20-minute Zoom call uh, where we can catch up and chat? And that's an easy way for him to say yes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the goal. So in terms of who to target, target the people you're interested in on LinkedIn. In terms of how to approach it, show appreciation first and then make it as easy as possible for them to say yes. Where people go wrong is they make it as easy as possible to, for them to say <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and an easy way for people, an easy message for people to say no to is where there's no clear request. For example, I have a lot of people who reach out to me and just say, hey, Ruben, that's it. Like, I'm not responding to that. Yeah. Um, or it's way too forward. And it's like, hey, Ruben, um, I really love your organization. Can I have a job? It's like, whoa, like, I, yeah. don't, I don't even know you yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, so target who you're interested in and then make it easy, as easy as possible for them to say yes. Uh, on top of that as well, like asking for a 20-minute Zoom call and specifically at the end of next week usually gives yeah. people about nine days to prepare for it yeah. um, or clear whatever else is out of the way um, is also a nice little tactical way to, to find an appropriate time in people's calendar too. Yeah. No, 100%. And I think there's this misconception out there that like networking is like in person, grabbing a coffee, first time I've ever met this person is, mm. and, you know, one-on-one engagement. I, I honestly think one of the things that really broke the door down for me in terms of this and getting really confident talking to people is literally using Zoom. Like mm. it's not a bad way to do it. And also literally, as you said, you don't need to have 30 minutes. You could even just say, do you have 15 minutes that I can mm. quickly jump on? It takes 10 seconds to open a Zoom link. It, it's not hard to do. So that's just a way to make it easier. Mm. So don't think, you know, to catch up with someone has to be in person. Like great if it is, but mm. if it works for you both just to do it on Zoom, go for it. Like mm. it, it's an easy tool to use. So Absolutely. Yeah. I caught up with a lady who lives in Paris the other week. We chatted for 70 minutes over Zoom. I was yeah. like, well, this is... Yeah. This is having a great chat. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Zoom can be f- phenomenal and often easier for a lot of people too. Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Great question, Zoe. Um, you know, it's it's one that everyone, you know, needs to have a think about. So, brilliant. Awesome. If you'd like to ask us a question or ask our friends in sport a question, again, sign up to become a member. Each week we jump on a members-only Q&A where it's an open floor for you to ask us or industry professionals any of your questions. This Wednesday, as we mentioned, we've got our job fair, so that's your chance to talk to hiring managers, ask any questions you have about the jobs they have on offer. Um, it's, it's literally the easiest way to understand jobs a lot better and what's actually involved in that job. So absolutely get involved uh, with that one. All of these sessions are also recorded. So when you do become a member, you get immediate access to all of these sessions that we've done historically um, and which is you know a super easy way for you to really just level up in your, your career. So get involved with that. You can find us on LinkedIn and give us some love with a rating if you enjoy the show. Subscribe on Apple or follow on Spotify. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Hey, guys. One last thing before you go. If you'd enjoy a quick email from us each Friday on all the latest job openings, networking events, Q&As with industry professionals and latest podcast episodes, then subscribe to the Sports Grade newsletter 
head to our website www.sportsgrad.com.au forward slash newsletter to subscribe. There's also a link in our show notes to join.